0: Spiritual life. It's amazing how God leads us and is leading our congregation. I'm so thankful for the fellows that help in leadership. Yes, the children can be dismissed. I was negligent there. Bless the little people, Lord. <laughs> and by the way, we are going to uh, the the uh, Pioneer group will meet next month, uh, two weeks out of the month, beginning next month. And so. Um, It's a couple weeks out, so just be aware of that. The youth ministry will continue. Uh, But it's interesting how the Lord is leading and has led us uh, just perfectly. You know, we have been going through Leviticus and going through those five sacrifices that are found, fulfilled and completed they were shadows and types, but it was fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And in the last couple of weeks, just looking at the fulfillment of God's promise in Christ, the prophetic scriptures coming true, and Jesus being born in Bethlehem and living and dying uh, for us, and you know, all to impart to us spiritual life. This is the purpose. We, you know, as we naturally come to the end of the year here uh it's always a time of reflection we look back upon first of all how fast it went uh and yet it's it's nice to have uh, a slower pace around the holidays where you can contemplate you know what has gone on and you know reflect upon the events of the past year you know and as you do that what comes to your mind did you have a good year were you satisfied did you have you enjoyed the fullness and the blessing of the gospel of Christ are you are you happy and content in your relationship with God or is there there's some shortfall you know maybe it's been a tough year uh, in that regard maybe you've had uh, some events that are less than preferable you know we think through those things you know as a congregation we still have our little uh, saying uh, that we will probably continue to go by I do what I can with what I have where God has placed me. Now, as you think about this past year, have you done what you can with what you have where God has placed you? And of course, there's always room for improvement. And may God help us to do so. If it's good on a personal level, it can be good on a church level. If it's not good on a personal level, it'll never work on a church level. What is the church? It's just a group of people coming together that love God. and God is working in their lives out His will and a purpose that can be done through a greater number of people than it can be done individually. And so this is the purpose of the church, to glorify God in our good work. So may we pray to those ends that we walk in what God has called us to do as a church. And so this morning, I hope this message in Romans 8 will create faith and hope in your heart. And I think that's the purpose of ministry of the Word is to edify, to exhort, and to comfort the believers week in and week out. I believe uh, if you will take the time to reflect on this passage and apply it to your life, it will produce a sense of fulfillment. It'll make your walk with God a joy. To walk with God should be the greatest joy in your life. Nothing else can surpass that kind of joy. And it doesn't really matter whether or not you've had a good year, a productive year, or whether your year's been filled with setbacks, you can still have joy in the Spirit. You can still have a fulfilling walk with God. It's not predicated upon any of those things that are temporal. It's this eternal life that we have and experience with God. And so, I believe if we understand the truths that we're going to cover this morning, and we uh, seek to apply them, And we can enter into a deeper and closer walk with God. That's our intention. That's our goal uh, as Christians. The whole idea of a Christian life is to experience new life in Christ, spiritual life. You know, some of us start out, you know, just really on fire and just really growing in leaps and bounds in, in our spiritual growth. And then we sort of taper off and we find out, oh, we've got this dead man we're dragging around, this fallen nature, and we sort of have to figure out how to handle all these things that are new to us. And then some of us just, you know, we've sort of just thrown in the towel thinking, well, there's no hope. I can't seem to get over this guy that I'm dragging around, this stench of the old man and the world, and and there's frustration in their walk with God and, and a, a constant battle. And so this is... Uh, where this chapter is so important to us as we look at what Paul himself wrestled through and worked through and penned so eloquently and some things which are, as Peter said, hard to understand uh, when it comes to spirituality and walking with God and dealing with the old nature and dealing with sin, understanding the purpose of the law. All those things are very difficult, but there are things that we need to understand. We do need to work through them and uh, come to a, a conclusion of things so that we can be free and live in what God has called us, what God has really given to us. And so the idea is God wants to have an authentic personal relationship with you. It isn't religion. It isn't about church traditions or any of that kind of thing. It's not about rituals and all that. It's what God has done for you and for me, for the whole world, for every generation in the person of Jesus Christ, in his death on the cross, and his resurrection from the dead to authenticate and vindicate exactly the message he preached, the gospel message, and the truths that he taught us about our Father in heaven. This is what it's about. I believe if we will receive the teachings of the Bible in childlike faith, we'll be drawn into a growing and a maturing relationship with our Lord. And that's what it's all about. That's the essence of life. It doesn't get, it's not any more complicated than that. Well, yeah, but I've got family. Yeah, they're involved in that. I've got dreams and hopes. Yeah, that's all part of that. God is part of that. God wrote a lot of those things in your heart, but he's the only one that can fulfill those that destiny that he's written in your heart. So that's what it's all about, that living relationship with the Lord Jesus. In regards to childlike faith, Jesus said in John 5, 24, Most assuredly I say to you that he that hears my word and believes him that sent me has life eternal and does not come into judgment but is passed out of death into life. Do we really grasp the significance of what has been given to us? We're not dead anymore. We're not going to die. We are alive forevermore because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. You know, as we come to understand the Lord and as we figure out his ways and his purposes, we find it really a lot easier to submit. We learn that, you know, Father knows best, and we just sort of surrender. We, we figure it out after a while. Even when life experiences are less than preferable, we know that He's in control, and we know that He's going to use these trials and tribulations that we experience for some purpose in our lives and, and maybe in the lives of others. But we never doubt that God's Word is true. God would never lie to us. God would never deceive us. He's not that way. He cannot do that. And actually, it's the opposite. As we walk with him, God will show us things to come. He shows us things that are coming. Sometimes we don't really perceive him telling us things that are going to come, but he does. And then when it does happen, our faith is strengthened. This is uh, John 13, 13. 19 and 20. He says, I tell you beforehand though, so that when it does come to pass, you may believe. And that's so important because all of what I'm talking about all falls to the ground. If one does not exercise faith, you must believe that God is, that he is a keeper and a fulfiller of his word, not only in your life, but in his plans and purposes. God always keeps his word. And so as we come here to chapter eight, I'd like you to stand. I'm going to read the first 17 verses and reflect upon them uh, and as we work our way through it. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made us free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh... God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and on account of sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carly minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is at enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then, those who are in the flesh cannot please God. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he is not of his. And if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the Spirit is life. ...because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you. He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies... ...through his spirit who dwells in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if you live by the spirit, you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live... For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage, again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. And if heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, we shall also be glorified together. Amen. You may be seated. So, so, as I said, Paul, the Hebrew of Hebrews, understanding the Old Testament perfectly, has a Pharisee, has one who was an adamant keeper of the law. He understood the sacrifices and the purposes behind them, and now he's sort of bringing all those things and the finished work of Christ to bear upon Christian living. And this is what we desperately need in the church today. People do not need to be preached at, yelled at, or screamed at. You know, you got saved last week. You don't need to get saved again this week. It's learning how to walk with God. Learning how to take what is written in the scriptures and and yield your life to God and allow the Holy Spirit to apply those truths and bring transformation as you worship God. Worship is what is the catalyst that brings about transformation in our lives. We become like whatever we worship. So if we worship the true and living God, we're going to become like him, true and good in and all ways. And so Paul here in chapter 8 is coming to the conclusions on matters that he's mentioned in the previous chapters. And, of course, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to ask yourself, why is that therefore there, for I mean, what is going on he 's drawing conclusions he 's said something prior to what he 's about to say because of that, now this, and so it 's important we have these little markers along the way that we pay attention to, and what he 's doing here in chapter eighty is he 's drawing a contrast uh, between a per, the life of a person who 's dominated by the flesh. now flesh, in the context here is referring to fallen nature. Uh, we all have a human nature that it's fallen a nature that is enmity enmity with god it doesn't want god it doesn't care about god it wants nothing to do with god that's our fallen nature that's why uh you know it's like your little children don't want to come when they get caught with the hand in the cookie jar want to admit and confess and deal with any of that it's like there's an there's enmity there you you've been caught you know that that's What we war with uh, all life long uh, is that fallen nature, the flesh. But he's drawing uh, a contrast between the fallen human nature and the person who is now under the control of the Holy Spirit. And that happened uh, and resulted from the person who asked Jesus Christ to be their Savior and asked God to forgive them and asked God to come into their life and to be Experienced new life. Uh, That person sort of, as we would say, responded to the spirit's nudge. Let me in. Let me help you. Let me forgive you. You know, and and you respond to the conviction that came upon your soul, and and you allowed your spirit to be made alive. You were born again by the spirit of God. So I think. You know, because that therefore is there, uh, let's reflect just slightly a little bit on some of the concepts uh, that Paul uh, is bringing to bear here on grace, uh, Romans 6 through 8 in particular. And so, uh, this whole idea of grace, I think grace is understood by many. It's easily defined. Getting what you don't deserve. Unmerited favor, yes, it's all of that. So we can define the word, but it's best uh, when it's experienced. And grace is something that's contrary to human nature. We don't get it because we live in a world where we need to earn everything. We, need to des- we feel as though we need to deserve whatever we get from God. But it doesn't work like that in the kingdom of God. Everything in the kingdom of God is on the basis of mercy and grace. That's just the way it is. We can't earn it. We can't make God bless us. It's just a freely given in the person of Christ. And so, But there's a couple things that we need to really understand if we're to experience this abounding grace. And one of them, as Paul talks about here in those chapters 6 7, is we're not to continue to live after the sin nature. You will not experience, I will not experience grace, the grace of God, if I continue to live after the fallen nature. You just can't. They're not compatible. And then secondly, um, sort of related to that, but uh, we can't continue to practice sin simply because we're not under the law. Because what Jesus did on the cross, he fulfilled every requirement that, was required in the law before God that we'll talk about in a little bit here is justification whatever the law required was given to us in the person of Christ he's fully justified us by our faith in him before God our our father and simply because we're no longer under that written law we can't just say well we can live any way we want we're not called the lawlessness at all even though we're not under the law of Moses anymore. And so those are important concepts to grasp because a lot of people measure their spirituality by obeying the law. We're going to define this a little bit as we proceed through here, but essentially it's those two points. You can't continue to live after the sin nature, and you can't practice sin just because we're not under the law. You need to get those things firmly planted in your heart so you understand how to relate and how you can relate to this abounding grace that God gives us. We need to realize that this abounding grace has truly been provided in Jesus Christ. How do you experience it? One, by having a servant-hearted spirit, a willingness to serve others, a willingness to become like our Savior. Jesus said, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. We are to follow in the same steps. If we're going to experience grace, it's because we have a willingness to serve and to help other people. A willingness to wash feet, as it were. Do the dirty jobs. Do the things that other people do not want to do because simply they just simply need to be done. And that's how we need to look at it. It's kind of like a mother. Mothers really get this, especially that have little ones to take care of. You just do what you have to do no matter what you feel or think about it. It just has to be done. That's what it means to be a servant. You don't grumble. You don't complain. You're doing whatever you do is unto the Lord. And then secondly, to, to live in this abounding grace, I think uh, you need to understand what the law really does to your heart. It, it simply magnifies your sin. It magnifies your flaws and your mistakes. And so, when you see the flaws and you measure yourself against the standard that is perfectly holy in the law, you see your failures. And so, usually, the natural response to that is try harder, (laughs) work harder. Or, and then, you know, relying on self to be better. You know, and then when you have those short, term victories, you sort of boast in yourself, and this is what leads to self-righteousness because the law just becomes a way of measuring yourself, your spirituality, and that is a mistake. How can we measure ourselves? Paul said, I don't even judge myself, you know, because we, we, there's this constant growth that's taking place in us as we walk with God. And so, and, and to sort of sum up the first few chapters there, Paul breaks our salvation into three phases. And it appears to me that salvation is sort of in three phases for us. It, uh, the first phase, which we mentioned briefly here, is justification. We all are dead in our sins and trespasses against God. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. And in order to become a Christian, to be saved, to be born again, you must acknowledge the fact that you have missed The mark of perfection. It doesn't matter if you've sinned one time or a hundred times. You're still a sinner. I'm still a sinner. I need forgiveness. So justification is the gift of God in a sense that he delivers us from the penalty of sin that was due us. I should have been the one hanging on the cross. I should be the one going to hell and paying the debt of sin that I owe God. Because the Bible says the soul that sins shall die. I'm in debt to God for my sin. But Jesus took those. He took those upon himself. He who knew no sin became sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. So in justification what happens is I because I believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm given a gift. Now a gift is not something you work for. It's not something you try to be good enough to earn or be to receive. It's just it is simply that. It's like your Christmas gifts from your relatives this past week you didn't earn any of those gifts they were given to you because someone loves you and cares about you and so God loves you and God cares about you and so he offered this gift of righteousness in the person of Christ because Jesus did what we could not do he kept the law perfectly he fulfilled all the requirements that God required in his life and death upon the cross. He paid the penalty of the sin that was due us. Aren't you glad that you've been justified by Jesus? Aren't you glad that you've received that wonderful gift? And if you haven't received that gift, it's yours for the asking. That's how you get it. That's how you receive it. That's how you receive anything from heaven. A man can receive nothing except it be given from above. And he can receive nothing from heaven unless he asks for it. That's what prayer is. The second phase is sanctification. And has to be delivered from the power of sin over us. And the power of the sin nature, the fallen nature, it has power over us until we become born again. The sinner, the person outside faith, has no way of freeing himself from the bondage of the sin nature. He is a captive. He is under the rule and control of Satan, whether he wants to acknowledge it or not. All souls that are lost belong to him. Our original, our first parents made a choice. They chose to serve Satan and rebel against God. And so Satan became Lord of the earth, so to speak. And all the souls that sinned came under his dominion and control. They are the children of darkness, which we all were at one time. But when we confess Christ, we were translated out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And that Darkness has no control, no hold on us anymore because of the Son of God. We have been delivered from the power of the sin nature and the power of sin over us. This is where we live. After we're born again, after we've received the gift of justification, we now live in this second phase, from till we get to heaven until we die, this phase of sanctification. And then the last phase is what we're all looking forward to, frankly, and that's glorification. Well, we'll talk about that later on in this chapter, which we won't get to this morning. So we have, God's covered us in our salvation, past, present, and future. In the past, I received Christ. I was justified. Now, I love that word, and you can break it down if you want to remember what it really means. It's just as if I'd never sinned. Justified. It's a legal term uh, you know, and it conveys the idea that I should be prosecuted for these crimes but now because of the work of Christ God views my life your life is viewed by God just as if you'd never sinned that is an incredible thing he sees your soul your spirit through the blood offering of Jesus Christ that's something that the sacrifice in the Old Testament could never do They only merely covered it, but Jesus takes that completely away so God sees us totally acceptable in his sight. That isn't a marvelous thing because we're going to talk about condemnation this morning and, and we need to be free from that. And so justification, a wonderful thing, and then past taken care of, the present sanctification. Now this is where I believe the church falls down and the believer's by and large, miss it, is not a good understanding of the work of sanctification. Many people, There don't get me wrong, there is a sanctification aspect that comes with just being justified, and positionally, we are in Christ, so we are set apart from the world. There is a a holiness that is there because Christ is in us, but this is a a deeper work within the new man that takes place uh, day to day. Sanctification, it sounds like a big theological word that uh, sort of involves unachievable goals. (laughs) No, (laughs) It's, it's not that at all. It's just God simply setting us apart day by day, more and more. And it's the idea of being transformed, being changed. See, the law could not aid us. We'll talk about this a little in the future here in a minute. But the law could not aid us in helping us to overcome sin in any way but now through thanks of sanctification in the work of the holy spirit we have power to overcome the sin nature i believe that sanctification is a progressive work that takes uh, of growth that takes place in the inner man it's not automatic you know like when you're born physically you know you're a baby and you eventually become a toddler and then young child and then into adulthood you know you really don't have any control that's sort of set in your pituitary and gland and and, you know you're off to the races and it's sort of automatic in that regard not so when it comes to spiritual things critical sanctification so to speak you have to really want this you have to pursue it and this is i believe something uh, why i preach devotions hard spend time with God allow his spirit to speak to you minister to you this is part of of seeking this sanctification in my life you know like i said earlier there are people who when they first get saved they're just like so on fire that like wow they just drop all the bad habits they they the spiritual knowledge is just dropping into their minds like to get it, it's like they, this enlightenment is just off the charts. And there are other people who maybe were raised in the church and they believed all their life but it's just this slow, progressive, like, wow, man, why can't I get over, why can't I get over this, you know? And so di- people are at different places and different experiences in the Lord. And I think for, for it doesn't really matter, all of us have to learn these lessons about how God wants this grace, this abounding grace to work in our lives and what, and to remove the roadblocks, as it were, that get in the way of us, us experiencing this grace. Now, what I believe, if we understand this, is that we will experience a deep joy a deep, rich fulfillment in our walk with God. Our walk with God will become deeper and our love and appreciation for the Lord will become much, much greater. And it will abound. Now, this doesn't mean that we're going to live pain-free lives. It doesn't mean that we're going to, as it were, have a trouble-free existence. We're living in a fallen world. We have fallen bodies. We're going to have chaos to deal with. And so this is important that we understand that people... Well, you know, they get stumbled by the fact. Well, I, I gave my life to Jesus, and all hell broke loose. I mean, what? <laughs> I mean, where's the blessing at? And they misunderstand again the framework of what uh, we live in and God's intentions and in all this. So, uh, and the other thing on this thing of sanctification, it's it's not the result of some human wisdom. Oh, I figured this whole thing out. <laughs> uh, it's not human might, our own strength. It's not simply trying to obey the rules. That's not sanctification at all. Trying to live under the law actually leads to a life of condemnation because I can't keep the law perfectly. The law was never intended beyond its ability to instruct what is right and what is wrong and what is acceptable to God. It can only point out to me where I am in my existence before God. That's it. That's all the law is good for. Is there anything wrong with the law? No. The problem is the weakness, as Paul's pointed out here. Is the weakness of human fallen nature. If I you know, it's funny, if I go by the law, if I obey it, I feel really good about myself. And then if I blow it and I'm disobedient and hard hearted and become a knucklehead and do you know just willful disobedience, then I feel condemned. And so there's this constant battle of just self-justification and, and, you know, condemnation. And I just, I'm frustrated. And how many young people who grew up in the church leave the church because I can't do this. Nobody can. I want to I just share a sympathy, sympathetic heart here. Nobody can keep the law. You can't have a relationship with God and and feel good about it and and enjoy God. You're going about it all wrong because you've not been instructed on how to enjoy the abounding grace of God. And this is what this is about. Now this is, I spent a little more time on that middle face because that's where we live. Justification, sanctification, the present work of God delivering us from the power of sin. Glorification, well we don't have much to say about that really. I mean, what that simply means is we're going to be delivered from sin, the presence of sin forever. That's what glorification is. We don't experience that until we leave the body and we go uh, to, to heaven. Um, it's pretty, I mean, it's pretty hard to imagine how glorious heaven is going to be. I mean, I dream about it, but I know I can't com- begin to comprehend how magnificent and wonderful it is to live there. It's an ult- it is the ultimate reality. This is not the ultimate reality. The ultimate reality is heaven. We're living as it we're in a hologram. What we think and what we feel and what we sense with our senses and all we think is the real, real deal. It's not. This is only temporal. This world is going to pass away. Everything in it you see, touch, and feel with your senses, it's going to burn. It's going to go away. The only thing that's going to be left is what is immaterial, the spirit part of our beings. You know, we came in naked, as it says, we go out naked. That's the, the real, that's the reality. And so we need to look and think in terms of eternity and think in terms of what's going to matter forever. And so, you know, eventually what glorification includes is that God's going to clean up this mess this chaos, this, these crimes that are committed against humanity and especially children and things that we've seen going on in our world and our culture. It's just so grievous to the soul of those who love God to see these things going on. But God is going to reconcile it. he's going to fix it. He's going to lift, judge and then he'll lift the curse and establish it the way he initially set out to do. And so, as I said, Paul is laying out this contrast here in chapter 8, between the life of a person that's dominated by the fallen nature and the person who is under the control of the Holy Spirit. So we're going to look at this, verses 1 through 11 here, and the flesh, verses 1 through 11. Now to me, it appears there's only uh, the only difference between a carnal Christian and the person who is a spiritual Christian is how that person is relating to the fallen nature. The spirit-filled guy has learned how to get a grip, and he's learned how to bring that fallen nature to the cross. And he says later on, who through the Spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, the fallen nature. You're not allowing it to control you, the body appetites, the lust of the eye, the lust of the flesh the pride of life, you've learned to bring that to the cross and die to it because of what Jesus did. That's, but the carnal Christian doesn't even think like that. It's like, well, you know, I accepted Jesus. I've been justified. I'm content with going to heaven, and I'm going to live the way I want to live and hope I make it. That's sort of how I see uh, it in the church. And that is a miserable way to live, by the way because you're beat by the world, because you feel guilty if you cross the line and indulge too much, and then yet you're so there's enough of the world in you, you don't really feel that comfortable in church being around people that are filled with the Spirit and are loving God. You're sort of like, you know, you don't fit in either place. Well, stop playing that. Stop walking that way and just give up because that's going to pass away. But what we're talking about here, living in the Spirit will never pass away. Living in the flesh after the fallen nature, there's a constant dealing with condemnation. That judicial judgment of finding someone guilty and, and that means you're subject to punishment. You sow to the flesh, you will of the flesh reap corruption. That is a spiritual law. And if you sow to the Spirit, you will of the Spirit reap life everlasting peace. Enjoy that is a spiritual law and so we get this condemnation and what we're saying in here it's not a condemnation of the person and i want to make that clear here because you know we all fall we all cross the line we all have wds and we all blow it in attitude and heart on occasion what he's saying here this this condemnation is on the sin but that sin operates in the sin nature so if I'm dealing with the sin nature, I'm not I'm not simply saying I'm not allowing it to operate. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm, just, I'm not doing it. And we have that at power now as Christians. And so uh, if I do allow this to operate, then it affects my spirit. It affects my soul. And, and then again we sense condemnation and that's not what God has for us. Now uh, verse 3 says there's a weakness, the law is weakness, and it has it related to fallen human nature. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. People who have this tendency to want to look at the law and measure themselves. First of all, the law cannot justify you. Secondly, the law cannot sanctify you. And that's important. And so, because that law cannot do those two things, Jesus was sent. To provide what we could not provide for ourselves. And so that's the gift of justification that I've talked about earlier. That's where Christ comes in. He could, He did justify us. He did, as it were, sanctify us. He took on human nature. Sin was not allowed to operate in His human nature. He was tempted, just like we, but He never sinned. He never failed in any way. The law also cannot free us from the power of sin. And that's important to know. Verse 4 says, We do not walk according to the flesh. Those of us who have been born again were no longer walking according to our fallen nature. Why? Because of verse 5. We are setting our mind on things of... Not setting our, things on mind, our mind on things of the flesh. If we do, our conscience awakens. We know, children know, I know, you know, when we cross the line, what does that word mean, right? Conscience, conscience, with knowledge. I cross the line with knowledge. Oh, oh I didn't know I was doing wrong. Oh, yes, you did. Oh, I know that I'm not supposed to put my hand in the cookie jar. I know that, but I don't really care because I want a cookie. The lust of the flesh. You see, I know that. You don't have to tell me. I don't have to tell my little... I didn't have to tell my little people when they were growing up. <laughs> Guilty. Okay, that's the, the deal. The conscience, it condemns us for violating the law within our minds because we understand what, what, what's right and what's wrong. Now, the, the issue is uh, when it becomes habitual to do wrong. The conscience no longer works. It's no longer allowed, as it were, to govern our actions, and that's what gets us into trouble. Why do we have jails? Why do we have prisons? We have people who can no longer govern themselves. They're out of control to the point that they're injuring other people and violating other people's rights. Therefore, these people who are lawbreakers and out of control unable to control themselves, must be incarcerated to protect themselves as well as society. And so that's, that's what will happen to the person who fails to bring his flesh, his fallen nature, into, under control. There's a law, a spiritual law. Just like gravity is a law, there are spiritual laws. Christians should not be ignorant of God's spiritual laws. We need to know God's spiritual laws. There's a law of sin and death, and it is at work. That mind is death. What is death scripturally? Separation. If you are thinking carnally, if you are thinking earth things on an earthly level, you're separated from God's thought. You're thinking like a man. The wisdom from above is first pure, gentle, and easy to be entreated. The wisdom that is from earth is devilish. It's divisive. It's full of hypocrisy. James explains that to us. Verse 7 says, The fleshly mind is at enmity with God. Verse 8, The fleshly mind cannot please God. Nobody in their fallen human nature can please God. It's understandable now, isn't it? The fleshly mind cannot have the spirit. That's not where the Holy Spirit goes. God did not come into your life to clean up your old man. There's no hope for the old man. There's no hope for fallen human nature. God has one sentence for fallen human nature at this point in time, and that is the cross. Crucify it. Put it to death. How can I? But I don't want to die. Well, you're not going to die. You're going to live because you're born again. Your spirit, your spirit man, has been made alive. This is the concentration. This is what the focus of the Christian life is to be upon our inner man, the new man that's created in the image of Christ Jesus. Let me read you some supporting scriptures that go along with this, and you can write these down. We won't take time. For for the sake of time, to to turn to every one of them. John 3, 18. He who believes in him, Jesus, is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. If you don't take Jesus Christ as your Savior, you have no hope. It is that simple. I'm not, you know, you can't say it any plainer than that. You need Jesus. I need Jesus to save me from my sins, to save me eternally. John five twenty four. truly, truly, I say to you, he that hears my word and believes in him that sent me has eternal life and does not come into judgment, but has passed out of death into life. I'm no longer separated from God. I know God, not as well as I want to, but I know him and he knows me. It's wonderful to have that kind of relationship. Romans five eighteen and 19. Romans 5, 18 and 19. Therefore, through one man's offense, judgment came upon all men, resulting in condemnation. And so through one man's righteous act, the free gift came to all men, resulting in justification of life. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So also by one man's obedience, many will be made righteous. Are you getting what I'm putting down here? Are you picking it up, what I'm putting down? You get it? It's all in the person of Christ. Second Corinthians 5.21 For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So what's being communicated here in these verses is more more than just a, a legal proceeding. It's a union with the living God. When you ask Christ into your life, you are being united with the God who made everything. You have become his son by adoption. You become his daughter by adoption. You and I are part of God's eternal family. What greater gift could a human being receive? think there's none we should never underestimate the value of what that means to be part of God's family what eye has not seen ear has not heard nor has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those who love him that's just incredible stuff in the Spirit. There's a phrase here. The Spirit of life. You know, it's versus the law of sin and death. Now it's the Spirit of life. What does that mean? What does Paul have in his mind when he refers to the Spirit of life? I think it is the power and rule of the Spirit of God in my life. You know, As we look to the new year, I'm hoping that our focus in this coming new year is on enjoying a deep spiritual relationship with God. That's why I'm preaching this message. I was praying, about, Lord, you know where are we at as a congregation? Where are we? At? Where am I at as your servant? You know, you know what? What is all this in Leviticus about? And where, where does this? You know, what is? How does this apply to your people now? They He brought me to this. It's life in the Spirit. This is, should be our goal, our focus for life. Everything in our life flows out from our relationship with God. Whether we want to believe that or not, it is true. The more I know God and understand God and align myself with His plans and purposes, the greater enriched life I will experience. God wants your life to be full and rich and abundant in love and grace he doesn't want you to live in strife and in anger and in bondage to your fear and bondage to your habits. He wants you to be free. This is what the spirit of life is all about. And in that, verse 1, there is no condemnation. Who is he who, ju- who, who judges? He is who criticizes you, not God. God has set you free. God has given you the gift of justification. God in, looks at you as being free from sin. You're in Christ; the blood is atoned for your sin. There's no condemnation. Isn't that a wonderful gift? We're free, folks. We're free indeed. Who the, who the sun sets free is free indeed. No condemnation, and because I have no condemnation, I am free from the law of sin and death. Hallelujah. The righteous requirement of the law fulfilled. No more striving. No more measure myself against that. Now I measure myself against pure love. Am I loving like God loves? <laughs> That's enough to slay all of us right there. That's the law. That's the rule. Do I love people? Do I care about people? And when, here's what I do. When I come to a point where, you know, because we all get offended. We all, you know. We all have the sin nature that doesn't want to die and wants to cling on and give us trouble. And so when I come to those times when I'm offended by people, they say things or disrespect or whatever, I realize, God, I do the same thing. I'm guilty of the same thing. Please forgive me. I let them go. I think about what Jesus went through, who when he was reviled, reviled not again. You know, you just, you learn to just turn it over to God. See, that's what it means to be a servant. You have yielded your rights to God. We are not our own anymore, brothers and sisters. We belong to God. And as servants, we yield our rights to him. He now fights the battles. The battles, the, the war's been won. The battle rages on, but we have to just turn it over to enter into the victory. That's how it works. That's how we walk, verse 4, walk according to the Spirit. We're empowered by the Spirit. And because we are empowered by the Spirit, and He wants to keep this going, this flow from heaven into our hearts and living out through our hands and our feet and our our walk, is because of verse 5, we set our mind on things of the Spirit, the things that matter. I become so heavenly-minded that I'm a lot of earthly good. It's a wonderful blessing to have the spirit of life now dwelling within us. We have life according to verse 6. We have peace. We have the spirit. The body is dead. We know we can literally, it is cut together. It is put out of business. We put that old man, he's out of business. He's been nailed to the cross. Sorry, Charlie. No exchanges. Anymore, and see you don't ha- you have to believe that. Well, it's so weak, but uh, get a grip. It's all been provided in Christ. You just have to believe it. And how does that happen? It comes through faith. And how does faith come about? Faith comes by hearing the word. Get your head in the Bible. Get that Bible in your heart, and you will walk in the victory that's been provided by the person of Jesus Christ. That is that simple. God never meant. Our walk with him to be complicated. God never meant your walk to come through another man or any of that. You don't need a priest. You have a high priest in Christ. You have issues, you take it to the priest. You take it to Jesus. And Jesus said, I'm taking care of that for you. Here's my gift. Here's my power. Here's my forgiveness. Here's all that you need to live godly in me. But you got to bring it to him. So we have life, we have peace, we have the Spirit. We've got victory over, verse 10, a dead body. It, fallen nature is crucified. Verse 10, we live in the Spirit because of His righteousness. We're not striving to be righteous anymore. We already are. How can you be more righteous than righteous? Oh, wait, I'm have this. i righteous in Christ? Well, let me do something else to become more righteous. Wait, no, wait. That's That doesn't make sense. How can you become more righteous than righteous? How can you become more holy than holy? You're already set apart. God made you that. You didn't have to do anything. It's a gift. Isn't that wonderful? These truths settle in. It just It's exciting. It's rich. It's, where, it's what we need to know to walk in it. Essentially, verse 11 is true. I have life, his life, eternal life in this mortal body. And then verses 12 through 17, as I finish here, we're not dead anymore to the flesh. I don't owe that old man one penny, one ounce of attention at all. No. Stifle. No. <laughs> right? That's verse 13. Verse 12 and 13. Because we know if we live after that, we're going to be separated. We're going to die. We're not going to sense the presence of God. People come to church, well, I don't sense anything. I don't sense the presence of God. It's because you're carnal. And you need to repent, and Christians repent all the time it's the easiest thing to do, Lord, I was wrong, i'm sorry, please change me. I yield to you now. you do that you 'll sense the presence of God. It is that simple. The word of faith is near you in your heart. if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, you will be saved it's that simple it 's not complicated we are been We have been freed, according to verse fifteen the bondage of fear we no longer have to deal with these insecurities about our relationship with God or other people for that matter we have ways of cloaking our fear well I'm not really worried about it I'm just concerned you know we have ways of sort of cloaking these things let's just tell it like it is man I'm I don't know what's going to happen there. It's sort of freaking me out to think about the options here. And please help God. You know, it's better to be that way than to, you know, to deny what you really sense. Because look, who knows what's going to happen tomorrow? We don't. There's a lot of things that produce insecurity. I mean, our bodies are pretty weak and <laughs> incapable of a lot of things, especially pleasing God. And so that's immediately a built-in insecurity. But we've been delivered from that. So those of you who struggle a lot with fear and insecurity, and we all do to some degree, obviously, and some more than others, spend time in this chapter. Allow it, read it over and over, and allow it to just settle into your spirit, into your heart, and it will transform you in a good way. So that's what we are free from, according to the flesh. According to the spirit, we can mortify the deeds of the body. Verse 13. Again, we've been adopted, verse 15. Our spirits cry out. That's what we were doing this morning during worship. Our spirits were crying out, Father, Father. Just beautiful, intimate relationship. Those of you who've had good earthly fathers, you love them. You just love them. You can't express it. Those of you maybe you've had a you've had you've you know been bereft of that. You never you know, it's never happened. It's okay. But there's somebody that you really love, it's beyond that, this love that we have for God. And then, how do we know that we're right? How do we know know that what I'm saying is even true? Well, first of all, it's here, hopefully. Secondly, God's Spirit. God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit. Nobody had to tell me, hey, Hill, you're saved now. Nobody had to tell me that. Why? I don't want to know that. Verse 16, his spirit bore witness with my spirit that I was right with God. I know what it was like not to be right with God. And so when I asked Jesus Christ into my life and he came into my life, it was like, whoa, okay. I knew. I knew that God had received me. And that's what it is. God's spirit will bear witness with your spirit. It testifies to us. Think about this. You are an heir. Think about, you think you had a great Christmas with all the stuff you received? (laughs) Hello. You haven't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Isn't that great? What God has for us on the other side. He gave it all to Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? He gave it all to us. Isn't that incredible? I just think it's amazing. Of course, you always ask, well, why would he do that? (laughs) Because he loves us. He loves us. He made us in his image. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to bring many sons and daughters to glory and he's doing it as we yield to him, shall we pray? Father, that's our prayer and that is our hope. That as we yield to you day by day in this coming new year, Lord, that you're giving to us, may we experience life eternal. May we see you and understand you more and more and in better ways than ever before. Open the scriptures up to us, Lord. Help us to comprehend what's been written there for our edification and comfort and instruction, Lord. May the church continue to grow. May you command your blessing upon the congregation here, Lord. May we grow in the grace so that Good works are evident to the community in our lives as we minister your goodness to other people. We ask that you truly would command your blessing upon every family and fill every household here with peace and joy and life. In Jesus' name, amen, shall we stand?